0: Well, the title of this sermonette is The Greatest Witness. Oftentimes, when we think of witnessing, we think of a time when we did the right thing, when everything comes together. But sometimes, in fact, I think oftentimes, whether we like it or not, the greatest witness that you and I will ever have is in those moments where things are not going so great when things are challenging, when things are tough, when things are overwhelming, and those around you watch to see what you will do, how you will respond, how you will react, where do you draw your strength from? And so I think in this story that we focus on this weekend, we see an element of, in my opinion, the greatest witness of all time Even though things weren't going exactly as one would think they should have, we see the trueness and the nobleness of the character of God displayed in a marked and powerful way. And the Bible portrays it in such a way that to me is is very powerful. I don't know that I can improve on this story. And you just read many of the lines that I'm going to read again But we're gonna go through the book of Matthew, and I'm not gonna read everything in its entirety. I'm not trying to leave anything out. I'm not trying to be a heretic. It's right there in your Bible, go read it. You'll be blessed, I promise. But we're just gonna take some snapshots to try and get a picture of this last 24 hours of Jesus' life and then the beautiful resurrection morning. Can we do that? And so we're gonna start in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. We like to think we've been there, but I would suggest we haven't. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh my father, my father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And I imagine there was a long pause. In fact, three times he prayed this prayer. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Yet in the midst of that struggle, he's interrupted. And behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, friend, why have you come? And they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. At last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is, as you said. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. He is deserving of death. And then they spat in his face. And they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hand, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who's the one who struck you? Now when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is, as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many times they testify against you? But he answered him, not one word. So the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus? And they all said, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified, let him be crucified, kill him. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Then they crucified him. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocked with the scribes and elders And said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. And now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Centurions are hardened people. They see this a lot. Death is part of their job. But I submit to you that this man named Jesus died in a way entirely different, that it got the attention of this hardened man, this centurion man. And he said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, granted, Jesus did some incredible things. You think of all the people that he healed, each one of them, independently phenomenal. As he touched the eyes of the blind man and made the lame walk again. As he knelt down and wrote in the sand and offered forgiveness and said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. As he raised the dead, I mean, this is incredible. This doesn't happen, but Jesus did it. And yes, Jesus' death was a fulfillment of prophecy. Perhaps you've studied that out. It's true. Not just one, but many, 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 many prophecies. Yes, he was the Passover lamb. Yes, he was the perfect sacrifice. Yes, he was the ransom paid for my sins that gives me power to overcome. He is my hope for eternal life. And I don't want to minimize any of those things this morning. All of those are true, and all of those could be preached about. But what arrested the attention of the centurion was how Jesus died. And I would suggest what arrested the attention of all the universe, all the angels, anyone who was perhaps on the fence at that moment said, wow, truly, truly this was the Son of God. This was the greatest witness of all time. And in the perception of the world, it wasn't in a moment of strength. He wasn't feeding the 5,000. He wasn't parting the waters. He wasn't healing or bringing back from the dead. This looked like weakness. But this was surrender, not my will, but yours be done. And this relatively short period of time, this 24-hour window, has changed more lives in the history of this planet than anything else. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus' greatest trial was his greatest witness. And so I ask you, what trial are you facing? As I look out in the faces of this congregation, I have some small idea of the trials that you're up against. Some, it's health issues issues. Some it's your kids, some it's some type of pain you're experiencing, a loss. But I believe Jesus understands this morning. He knows what trial looks like. He knows what pain looks like. And I believe he wants to use your greatest trial to be perhaps your greatest witness for him. That moment when you feel like everything is against you, and you have nowhere to turn, God wants to use that moment for his glory. But I love John 16, but be of good courage, because I have overcome the world. Don't you like that? That's not the end of the story, is it? Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, I think that's interesting. Even over the Sabbath, in his death, Jesus rested. But after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. But the angel answered and said to the woman, "'Do not be afraid.'" Perhaps that's counsel for you in your trial today. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. For he is risen, as he said. He's alive. He's no longer in the tomb, but he's risen, and he's going back to the Father to intercede for you and for me. John eleven twenty five. 25, Christ had proclaimed in triumph through this resurrection, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus can say that. I like 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the, what? First fruits, first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you have anybody that's fallen asleep? Jesus was the first fruits in his resurrection. Beautiful. And then later on in that chapter, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Jesus conquered and overcame death. Praise the Lord. And because of that, we too can go to heaven and be with him. He's coming again, and I believe he's coming again very soon. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen. you know these words well, for the Lord himself will descend. He doesn't send somebody. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. You may be experiencing a trial now, but you will have a time if you are faithful to him that you will be able to be always with the Lord. Always is a lot longer than your trial is going to last, let me assure you. And I believe it's worth the wait. Jesus is coming again to take us home. One last verse I want to read to you is in Revelation 22. The last chapter in Scripture. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, if you're following along, it's a beautiful picture. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation's. Anybody need healing? And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And then verse 4, they shall see his face. And his name, his character, if you will, shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no more night. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. One of my favorite songs talking about no more night. And the words are where there will be no more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. Can you imagine that? Praises to the great I am. We will live in the light of the risen Lamb. If you're going through a trial today, hang on. God is with you. He will not abandon you, and He will bring you through that trial. And if you allow Him, He'll use this to be one of the greatest witnesses, perhaps, that you have to offer. But better than that, He'll come and take you home. Don't let His life for you be in vain. But allow his blood to wash over you, to forgive you, that you may spend eternity with him. Dear Heavenly Father, we look forward so much to that time when we can leave all the pain, the heartache, the tragedy of this world and spend eternity with you in the land where there is no more night. Lord, thank you so much for coming to this earth for being willing to surrender totally and fully to the Father, to die for us, for me, that I might spend eternity with you. Thank you for that gift, and may I accept it. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse,